0: Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. We are in the midst of Advent. If you've been here for the last several weeks, we've, we've, looked, at, uh, we've looked at hope, the theme of hope. We've looked at um, uh, peace, and then we've looked at joy. And so the kind of the application of that we're looking at these things this year is the theme of all is calm. In the midst of the chaos and the noise and everything happening in the world, Jesus offers us a place where we actually can just settle in. Even though everything's going crazy around us, we can settle in with Jesus. And uh, we chose a theme verse for this year, and it was this. It was Psalm 34.4. It says, I, thought, I, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And, and the word sought there is like, means like to frequent, You know, so if you go to a certain grocery store, you frequent there, you go to a certain restaurant, you frequent just the idea that during Advent in our lives, that we would frequent Jesus, that we would seek after him, that we would look to him and that would make all the difference. Well, we finish Advent today with love and uh, it was nearly 60 years ago that a song came out and it was entitled, uh, what the world needs now is love. And you may have heard it. It goes like this, and I'm not going to sing it. Uh, uh, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of time, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And so it, it's, a, it's a timeless song because people of all time can hear that and say, that's right. We need more love. That's what we need in the world. And uh, we all can hope for that. We all can hope that there'd be enough love that would overcome our problems, that would heal nations and relationships and families and the things we struggle with. Uh, But we have to really get down and look at the substance of the love that we hope for. Because, you know, we don't need uh, more or maybe not at all of the love that politics and politicians and and political parties bring. Uh, You know, I don't know that we need uh, more of the love from economics or economies or finances, I don't know that we need the love that comes from technology or, or the love that comes from fantasies or, or pleasures fulfilled. Uh, I don't know that we need the love that comes from power or prestige or notoriety or fame. What we need is a love that actually is durable, that actually holds up, that's actually strong. And that's God's type of love, a love that actually can handle absolutely anything it's been tested and tried. And so today, as we look at love, we're gonna look at uh, how God's love is stronger than death. And so in John chapter 11, and we're gonna go through a bunch of scriptures of John. As I was putting this together, I didn't realize till just this morning that, wow, all these scriptures are John. And it's perfect because John was described as, as the, one that Je- the disciple that Jesus loved. And uh, it's not that he didn't love the other disciples. It's just that he just... I think John just received it more, you know. I I, I just and I have known people like that in my day, and 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 I've realized it wasn't that God loved them more; it's just that they focused to just receive more of His love, and so it was evident that they were being loved by Him. And so John writes of the um, the happening of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and you you, you may know the story, but. Jesus is, is in a place, uh, he's where John the Baptist was actually baptizing, different John than the one who wrote this, but Jesus was baptized there by, by John, and, and he's resting, it's, it's across the Jordan, east of the Jordan, and he's resting there with his disciples, his friends, and Mary and Martha send word from Bethany about a day's walk away that there, his friend Lazarus is sick. And so it takes them a day to travel. And then when Jesus hears, he actually he says to his disciples, he goes, "Hey, Lazarus is sick and let's just hang out for a couple of days before we go and help." And by the end of those two days, he tells them, that, you know, that Lazarus has actually died. And they don't know how he knows this or any of those things, but he actually uh, tells them that and, and they don't understand. And he says, look, this, this, this actually sickness is not unto death. It, it's actually for God's glory. And so you see something different at work than what we understand. And so they take, and so now you have got a day's distance. And so that's why when they get there, you see that, um, isn't that amazing how I can throw my voice like that? I think there's... <laughs> I noticed that was Steve last week. There, there's like a, there's like a blind spot here. So, um, but, uh, it's actually, uh, Ross tells me it, it's like, has to do with the cell towers and all kinds of stuff and that sort of thing. So I think we're actually illegal, like the, the mics that we use. So just, you guys are all complicit. So we're, we're all going to the big house. Okay. So, uh, but, but Jesus and his disciples are traveling to, uh, to Bethany. And they get there and there's much commotion and they hear that Lazarus had died four days earlier. So I don't know if you've ever put out hope and hoping that something would change, but Lazarus died as soon as they sent word to Jesus. Because if it took a day to get there and then two days for Jesus and the disciples to wait and then leave and get back, that's four days. So as soon as they left to tell Jesus, Lazarus died they were holding out hope that Jesus would do something. And yet they now had to walk through the hard process of saying goodbye to their brother and friends and family came from Jerusalem and, and, uh, they would have had a big scene. Uh, they actually had wailers that they would hire for funerals. And so the the louder, the wailing, the greater, the funeral, the greater, the honor for the person that died. And so as Jesus came to this scene, he would have, he came across Mary and Martha and and they basically told him, you know, Hey, that's great that you came, but why didn't you come earlier? And why did you let Lazarus die? You know, maybe you've had things like that in your life where you were hoping that God would intervene and you're hoping that God would change things. And yet they didn't. And so in the midst of this, uh, Jesus says this to, um, to one of the sisters. Uh, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And the substance of this is God's love. Because Jesus is saying that there's a strength that comes from God, that there's an ability that comes from God. There's a life that comes from God that is so powerful that you can experience it now in this life. But even if you die physically, you really are not dead. If you believe in him. And uh, I remember being a young pastor and... and, uh, I was pastoring my first church. And so I called a mentor that I had known since I was a teenager. I said, I've got my first funeral. What do I do? And he said, John 11, you know, every funeral, read John 11, no matter what happened or what the circumstances are, read John 11. And one thing he pointed out that I always point out is that notice that Jesus didn't say, I know about the resurrection and the life. Let me tell you about it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. So when Jesus promises that he loves us and he cares for us, he's not making promises that he can't back up. He himself is found true life that no matter what happens, his love is strong enough to handle us. And so, but the scene goes on and, and, and Jesus was deeply moved and he, and he wept, right? Like people say, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? It's right here. Jesus wept. You know, what, what a powerful, powerful statement that we see the emotions of Jesus. And, and as you're going to hear in a minute, Jesus, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, see, he did what actually all of us can do. He got a word of knowledge from God. God spoke to him about what he was doing. Somehow God spoke to him and said, hey, Lazarus is sick. He's going to die, but I actually want you to go and we're going raise, to raise him from the dead so that people would see my power in the here and now. And so that's why Jesus held back so even though Jesus knew what was going to happen, he's not this kind of just like cosmic person walking around with no emotions. Sometimes we, he gets portrayed that way. But he's like fully present, fully there to the point that he would weep, that Lazarus died and these people are hurting here. So we see Jesus' humanity in his nearness. And then in verse 36 it says, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? The boldness of Jesus just blows me away. Uh, Something that I think we all dislike is being misunderstood, right? Jesus is misunderstood all the time. I mean, he is God incarnate, God in the flesh. God became one of us. And yet he lived to this tension that even though people would say all kinds of stuff like, you know, hey, why don't you do this? Well, even on the cross as he's laying down his life, you know, why don't you come? Why don't you save yourself and come down if you're truly the Messiah? And yet he kept to his purpose so that we truly would be set free by the way, in verse 36, where it says, see how he, how he loved him. Uh, we, uh, I, I love this, uh, this verse. You can go uh, back to the blank slide, Jackson. Thank you. Um, uh, there, we were in Thailand in, in 2001. And Michelle and I, my wife, we, we took uh, a team of about uh, 12 high school students and in some leaders to uh, to Thailand. And so one of the things we did, we were at orphanage most of the time, but we spent some time up in the in the hills with the hill people, the Akka people. And so we're in this village that, you know, there was tigers. And if you came out of the huts at night, they could get you in all kinds of stuff and all sorts of things. But um, we, we actually preached this message and it was complicated because um, I preached in English and then um, somebody had to translate into Thai. And then somebody had to translate into Akka. And so to this day, I'm not real sure what they heard. Um, but I, I have this real grainy green video cause it was at night and, and we gave an invitation for people to give their lives to Jesus. And it's just, you just see all these hands go up. And to that point, there was just a few families within the village that knew Jesus, but things changed at this point. But all that to say is, is that we had Bill, Bill Casenza, um, and uh, what's the guy on uh, Seinfeld? George. So it's not George. Yeah, it's, it's Bill. Um, I think similar name. Or that's Costanza. So yeah, just hold on. You're going to hear all kinds of stuff in this message today. So, so but, but Bill Costanza, Bill he's actually a rapper now. He's a dad and he has a real job and too, but he's a rapper. He's called Billy No Jokes. He's in San Diego. So, but he, good guy, but Bill's from Connecticut. And so his one job was to say this verse right here. And so for, for like seven days, Bill is practicing his line in this Connecticut East Coast accent. You see how he loved them? You see how he loved him. You see how I loved him. Just practicing for a week. And so it stuck with me through this time that just this, that, that do you see how Jesus loves people? Do you just see it? It's hard not to see if we look closely. And so we see what Jesus does in verse 38. It says, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance and take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? Glory, it's a big word, but it means like the substance of, like you'll see what God is like. So in this, we're seeing what God is like. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out the dead man came out in his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. So in the words and actions of Jesus with Lazarus, Mary and Martha, we see that God's love is strong for physical life and eternal life. You see, God all throughout scripture, Genesis to Revelation, you can choose to see what you want. I see a loving God that is constantly pursuing people, constantly pursuing people, just chasing them down time and time again, just, rap, just pouring out his love upon them. It's just, it's just all over the place. You see that. You see God just pouring out his love. And when I first met Jesus as a, as a 15-year-old, One of the first things that people told me or that I read was that Jesus loved me. And uh, I don't know, some people hear that and it's like this melting and because they process differently or emotions or different things. I really struggled with that. Like, in other words, I kind of approached it like, okay, let's pick this apart. You know, what does that really mean? And I I saw the proof and I had this encounter with God that was powerful. I knew it was real and I surrendered my life to him. But this whole idea of Jesus loves me. And I, I surrendered my life to him, began to follow him, but just kind of like, well, what does that mean? What is like, what does that actually look like? I mean, how do I actually know that? Okay. He loves me, but what does that look like? And and I'm sure you all could psychoanalyze me with experiences and things that happened in my life and why I thought that way or whatever. And I'm sure you could do the same with yourself. But I just struggled with that. And I think I, I still do to a certain extent. Like that Jesus loves me. Uh, you know, in the, the, the song, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. And so uh, what I've found though is I've seen evidence of it. Because I, I had a, actually a very small view of what that meant. And I, when I gave my life to Jesus, I actually started a journey of actually understanding and exploring what love actually was and is. And so he, he's been taking me on this journey of, and, and it's not a journey of just forward, but it's a journey of looking back and seeing and then looking forward. And so Jesus loves me, this I know, Jesus loves me, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God's love is a love that's active. God's love is is a verb. God's love is something that can be experienced in time and space. God's love is a force that we come up against. God is described by John. The one that Jesus loved is love itself. He says, God is love. Love is not God. It doesn't work that way. But God is love. Probably the best description of God in all that it is. Um, A.W. Tozer, pastor and writer, he wrote that the most important thing about a person is what they think about when they think of God. It's like kind of the concept of imaging God. And so when you think of God, just think of him as a person, what comes to mind? John, who wrote all of this, who observed all of this, who experienced God. And In 1 John, he actually says, you know, we write to you about which we've experienced, what we've heard, what we've touched, what we've seen so that you may share in our fellowship too. Like he was with Jesus. But then he experienced him as we do too, not physically, but by the Holy Spirit. And he says that God is love. But then Jesus loves me, this I know, like how do we actually know like experience God's love, what's through knowing him. But John himself actually writes uh, in John chapter one, verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Whoa. So Jesus has made God known. And so if God is love and Jesus loves me, that's what Jesus does is he shows us God's love. John 17, 26, Jesus is praying to his father and he says, I have made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me, now listen to this, the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Whoa, Jesus praise and the things Jesus prays can happen and do happen. Jesus prays that the love that the Father has for Jesus the Son would be in you. Come on. That we would know love so fully that that perfect love that has not been disconnected, that has not been messed up, that has not been broken. The perfect love of the father for the son, perfect community would be in you. You know, a lot of times people ask me as a pastor, like, okay, I'm in, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm seeking after him, but what's he doing? Like, you know, like what's God doing with me now? I mean, what, like, what's the program? It's this, he's increasing your capacity to be loved and to love. And that Jesus would be formed in you. That's it. Now, I don't know. You know, you're like, well, I had, this old, I had this whole spreadsheet of my other goals, Cody. You will accomplish much and do much and be much out of that. But the root, the base, the core of what God is doing in my life and your life is that he is increasing your capacity to be loved and to love other people. And how the world would be different if we lived out of that. John also wrote, 1 John 4, 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. The initiative is God's. God is always chasing after us. And I love this verse. He spoke to the people of Israel, Exodus 19, verse 4. He says to them, I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You know, he says the same thing about you. You know, he says the same thing about me, that, 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 that he sees where you were. Like David, maybe that my, that my feet were in miry clay or my feet were slippery and, and you, you took me out of that and put my feet upon a rock. You know that God sees our whole story and, and you say, well, Cody, I don't know. I was, I was born into the church, right? But he sees where you would have gone if the people before you hadn't trusted in Jesus and then taught you to trust in Jesus. He says this to you. He says, I brought you to myself. Wherever you were, wherever you were headed, wherever you were going, I brought you to myself. Maybe it wasn't on eagle's wings, maybe you know he brought you in a car to somebody else or maybe on a skateboard like me I was skating around a university and, and you know a teenager and all of a sudden I saw something this tract and it was Jesus surfing. Yes, Jesus is king of the waves. And he says to me, I saw you, Cody, abusing substances. You know, I used to go, um, I used to go, I played baseball. We're in the all-star baseball team. I used to go, I used to drink whiskey and then go to baseball. And I was actually pretty good. I used to run around and do all of those things and do that. And God says, Cody, I saw you in the midst of that. And I brought you to myself. I brought you to myself. I mean, and that's the thing, I, I haven't shared my whole thing, and I don't, I'm not saying this to glory in it or whatever, but just like, like I started doing those things when I was like 11 or 12 years old. I started shaving then too, by the way. But do you see, like, like, and that's the thing is, is that I looked at my life and the funny thing is I said, well, God loves me. And, but to the extent as I follow after Jesus more and more, I realized and I look back because I have a new heart and a new mind. And I look back and I said, wow, I actually thought I wasn't doing that bad. I actually thought I was actually somewhat okay when I was living that way. And yet God says, Cody, I saw you and I brought you to myself. And he says the same thing to you. and, And you say, well, I haven't given my life to Jesus yet. Well, he says to you, it's okay, I'm going to take you from where you are now and I'm going to bring you to myself. And, and you know, the place you may be is, you may be within the, you know, the place of religion. You've been going to church your whole life or you've you've been going to church for a while and you feel like it's good and you benefit from it. You've heard that people go to church, have better relationships and things happening and going on and you feel like you feel good and you get a shot in those things. And yet Jesus says, he says, if anyone come after me, let them pick up their cross and follow me. In other words, let them lay down their lives. Like let them surrender everything to me. And so Jesus isn't wanting like just like a business relationship where you check in and have a meeting, but he's like wanting everything. And so he says to you, hey, you've been in the vehicle of religion for a long time and you've gone after that, that's okay. But he says to you, he says, just wait what I'll do when you surrender your life to me. Just wait till you see. And guess what? Religion fades away and relationships trumps and takes over. And so, what I've found, like with God's love, is that it's wearing me down, people. It's wearing me down because I'm a wrestler, I'm a fighter, I'm a, you know, in every step it feels like I'm fighting God. Just recently, I, I just, I was struggling with some things and it was late at night and I'm cleaning out the garage and sitting out there and I'm like, man, what's going on with me? And, and the Lord's like, I'm loving you. I'm working in you. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Because the different lens, you know, sometimes we look at struggle in our lives. Sometimes we look at things that, that are happening and we look and we, we, see, we, we look at them in the wrong way when actually God's working in us, God's moving in us. And the way he's wearing me down is that I'm actually realizing that any good thing that's happening in my life, any good thing that another person does for me, any good thing that that makes me smile, any good thing that, that is consistent in my life, that's God loving me. And finally, after all of these years, Over 30 years of following Jesus, I think I'm just starting to understand how Jesus loves me. He turns all things that are around me, environment and people and animals and everything, and he turns them for my good that I might experience love. You guys, and some of you guys are gonna laugh at me, but I don't care. One of the sweetest things in my life right now is this, because I know it's God. We have this cat. And when we got her, we got her, her name, you know, she's like a rescue. Her name, they named her street pizza (laughs) because they found her on the street. And so when we went to the house, she was so tiny and Michelle wanted a black and white cat because they're snuggly. Because she just said, you know, we've we got to have a, a, a snuggly cat. And, and we lost a cat after 17 years. And she's like, I, I want a snuggly cat. So, and, um, and she is, but she's snuggly, but she hides from everybody. Just constantly. And except for at night. And so I'm always the last one to go to bed. And typically I'm studying or watching something downstairs. And so I'll, I'll come up to bed. Everybody else is asleep. And she waits at the stairs No, and she's just like, she's like so happy that I'm there. And so she comes up the stairs and then she like, you know, rubs her tail and her bottom on the edge of the thing she's trying. And, I'm, and finally I'm like, Hey, I'm into this program. You don't need to like try to tempt me. You know, like you don't need to like, I'm, I'm in I, I'm what you need. And, 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 and this is what she needs is she wants me to go in where her food is and pet her while she eats. And like I said, some of you guys are like, "Man, you're a wuss. What is wrong with you?" <laughs> but, but, but listen. This is what I realized, you guys, is that, is that. I mean, there's there's evidence of this too. That like when you pet a cat, it helps your soothing and all kinds of stuff. But, but no joke. Every day, you guys, the way I end my day is this wonderful animal that has so much joy and just wants contact and love from me. And she loves it. I mean, she purrs like a bandsaw. I mean, it's just like so loud. Whoa. And, um, and I realized last night I just do it every time. And sometimes I'm like, come on. And I mean, no joke. If I come back out, if I forgot to turn the light off or get a glass of water downstairs, whatever, I'll come back out. And she's like, she's doing it again. I'm like, girl, this is just too much but I just realized that that's something that way that God's loving me is that, is, is that I'm ending my day every day, just in this sweet moment of joy, no matter how did the day's been. And you say to yourself and you say, well, Cody, come on, how is that God loving you? And I'm just telling you he's wearing me down. Cause I mean, if I said to him, well, Lord, it, it, that's not you loving me. What is he going to say? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're sure. Or if I asked him, Lord, is that you loving me? <laughs> I have nothing to do with that. I don't like cats. You know, I'm a dog person, right? No, that's God loving me. And he's wearing me down in those ways, you guys, because as I look around more and more, I'm just attributing every good thing and every good experience and everything that is loving and good. And I'm saying, God, that's you loving me. And I'm learning that that, it's what it means that Jesus loves me, and so as love is that strong and and but you may say to yourself, Well, how strong because if you're anything like me, you know i I just didn't become like right and totally straight and perfect. You know, when I was 15, I met Jesus. There's been times where I've strayed off. There's been times where I've rebelled. There's been times where I've done things that aren't pleasing to him. There's times that I've done things that hurt other people or him in those things. And you say to yourself, well, how strong is God's love? Or you may say to yourself, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus because I've heard in church that he forgives, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how black my heart is. You don't know how much I need forgiveness. And so you say, well, how strong is his love? Is it strong enough for me? Like, can it handle the weight of me? And I think that we all struggle with the strength of God's love and the extent of it to a certain point. Part of it is our self-righteousness. Because we say to ourselves, well, I, I, I think it can handle the extent of my love. I mean, the extent of like what I've done, but I don't know if it can handle that person or what that person did. But we, we have this mindset because everything around us actually breaks. Everything around us has a point where it falls apart. Everything around us has a point where it can't handle the stress placed upon it. And so I was thinking about this this week, and that's the lens that we put on, and we put it on to God. And I was thinking about it, and I was, because I think about, like, if I go on a roller coaster, I think about, I want to see a little plaque. Where did the engineer that made this go to school? And did he pay attention? You know? Because, right, everything we do in, that we have, like, like this chair that you're sitting in, there's a certain limit where it's going to break down. And so I started saying to myself, well, what is the science behind this? Like, what is this thing? And so, and pastors get themselves in trouble all the time because we look up things for illustrations and we think to ourselves like, you know, Hey, I'm going to say this. And then we say it wrong. And that's what sort of thing. So I said, I am going to phone a friend. So Christian Warren, who's a part of the church here, uh, he is an engineer. And so I said, Hey, what is this? You know, I, and, and here's the thing. If I say anything wrong, it's not the teacher. It's the student. Okay. He knows this stuff. I have a really rote knowledge of it, but I asked him, I said, I said, you know, what does it mean? Like when something has a certain point that it, that it breaks and it can only handle this and it's material science and, and, um, it has to do with tensions and certain things that it can handle. But we actually spent some time texting about this and then talking on the phone. And I said, I said, so what is this? And there's, there's actually this there's this yield point for all materials and they test it. They actually put in this tension test and, and, and they actually pull, like if you have like a metal rod, it'll actually have this machine that will pull on it and there's a yield point. Anything below the yield point, it actually can stretch. So think of like a rubber band and it can go back to where it was without any damage if it's below the yield point. Anything past the yield point it starts to come apart. So there's the elastic point, which can come back, but then there's the plastic point where it actually breaks apart. And that's the problem is that everything that we see around us, whether physical or relational or social or economic or policy or I mean, just absolutely everything that's promised to us, we know that there's a yield point where it breaks, especially when it comes to love, because we've had people in relationships let us down, those that we've married, those that we have had in our families, we've had friends, we've had bosses. I mean, just, just, we, we've known that just love breaks down, that it has this yield point that it's just way beyond there and it all breaks. But here's what scripture tells us, the the first people that experienced Jesus, God's love explained, here's what it tells us, God has no yield point. God has no point where his love actually breaks and can't come back down. And what that means is, is that the yield point has to do with a certain amount of stress placed upon it. So it doesn't matter what amount of stress you place upon God, it will not go past a yield point and break down. That's what the New Testament tells us. It's different than everything else. And, and here's the problem. Right away we think to ourselves, like, well, yeah, but it can't handle that. And then right away we say to ourselves, yeah, but I understand that, but if I keep coming again and again and again testing that yield point, what do I do then? Keep coming. I, I'm I'm a practitioner. Keep showing up. Keep surrendering to his love no matter what you've done. See, his love is not only uh, unstoppable or unlimited and unbreakable, but his love is also unconditional. And the self righteous part of us says, "Well, well, wait a minute. And we, you know, we look at other people, but when it comes to us, when we need it, we sure love that. His love is unconditional. There's not any condition as far as performance with this love. His, his love is actually just available to you. And you say to yourself, well, that's a pretty good deal. I mean, but, but at what point, I mean, what stops a person from just living the way that they want and then they're just going, getting God's love over and over and over again. You can't. If you're truly going to him and receiving his love and your capacity to receive love is growing, you're going to get worn down like me. And the way you live has changed. You see, people think that you're supposed to manage your sin when you come to Jesus. You're actually not. You're supposed to just receive his love. And the more you receive his love, it's an amazing thing. You actually stop doing those things that aren't pleasing to you and pleasing to God and other people. That's our one job is to just receive his love. And as we receive his love, it permeates our whole being and we're changed. Even to the scary point that you think a cat loving you is God loving you but what a way to live opposite from the skeptic that says there's no love. Everything's going down. What a difference. This is what scripture says. Paul wrote this in the new Testament. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, listen, just, just, just listen. This is about you. This is, this, is, this is about your life. This is about what you've done or will ever do. This is about you. This is for you. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody say amen. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, for your great care for us. Thank you, Lord, that we are not as people walking around as orphans. We have a papa, we have a daddy, we have that one that loves us. Yeah. And so just as we go into worship, I want to pause real quick. Just pause real quick. And, um, you know, if you can right now, just whether you're here, or online, or whatever, just if you can, can you, can you muster up, no matter how you feel about yourself, no matter where you're at, muster enough faith to just say, um, to ask God, say, uh, first tell him, say, God, I receive your love, just in your heart right now. God, I receive your love. And we're just gonna pause real quick. See, God's presence is here, but we have a tradition. It's come Holy Spirit. It's where we just recognize God's presence and we ask for more. We give him permission, say, Lord, do what you want to do. So just right now, open your heart to him and, and ask him for his love. So come Holy Spirit. Yeah, and for some of us, just while we're praying, there's some things to let go. Yeah, addictions and fear and unforgiveness. The focus to be strong. You've been wounded and, and you just stuffed it. And you're like, man, I gotta be strong. and gotta be strong. And the Lord says, my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So trade your strength for his today. Yeah, receive his love today. Some of us have been hurt. And it's, it's like a bruise. It's, it's, it hurts. And, and in your heart saying, wait a minute, if God loves me, why would that happen? And the healing comes when you bring it to him and, sit, and, and bring your emotions and bring where you're at and bring, bring your hurt, bring your pain. Tell him you're upset. He's a real person. He can handle it. His love is strong. Some of us are disappointed. We had great dreams of things coming together when something happened, a relationship or a job or different thing, and yet we found that it doesn't satisfy. The only thing that satisfies is God's God's love. So trade that, that great dream, that great thing and invite him in. If your relationship's struggling, your marriage is struggling today, say God, Would you bring your love into my marriage? Would you bring your love into my workplace, into my family? We need your love, God. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.